everybody and welcome to the home record podcast where we wreck and shatter conventional wisdom and ways of thinking by bringing alternative viewpoints and different subjects to light it's me alex joined as always by my beautiful lovely gorgeous amazing wife the lovely monique monique how are you doing hi i'm dandy how are you you're dandy dandy well then. Yes. And you, my I'm good sir? Doing fantastic nice. as always. Much, much better. Good. And I'm going to get upset and angry again mm. this week because it's part two. Part two. Of our episode about being careful who you trust. Yes. But before we get into that, what's new with you? Anything, got anything going on? Yes, I have a group past life regression hypnotherapy session Saturday, October 21st at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you're interested in that, go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to learn more and to sign up. And also, if you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, crystals, other cool stuff, go to tarotbymonique.com. How about you? What's going on with you? What is going on with me? I'm feeling much better after being sick. Yay. I think it was your body saying you needed to take a break. I'm still not 100%, but I'm feeling better. And basically, you just made me sleep. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. That's it. it uh, yeah, I don't even, I, I didn't really get into it last week or last episode, excuse me. I didn't get into it because it was just kind of like, uh, I don't want to bore anybody with the details. But yeah, I think I was just run down. Just having. Yeah. Well, I've told you. If your body needs a break, it's going to tell you it needs a break and it's going to make you take a break. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. And, and fortunately you were there to not let me do otherwise. So I I, I thank you for that. I I told him you need to stay in bed, go to sleep. And he did. And then I kept saying, go to bed. Yeah. Anytime I'll take care of everything. everything. Go to bed. Yeah. I I came out. I tried to do some lessons with the kids and. I was just, I ended up putting my head down at one point because my head hurt so bad and I was just so just tired and run down. And Yeah, I took the boys out to clean the chicken coop and the chicken run and we come back in. He's just out like a light and because your body needed rest. Yeah, so anyway, feeling much better. But now, uh, aside from that, nothing else is going on with me. So I would like to get back into getting angry. Time to get fired up. And, and get fired up. And you up. know what? I hope people do get fired up by hearing these stories. I think it's important that you need to hear what's going on. You have to get upset. Well, hear what went on yeah. in the past and realize that this kind of stuff is still happening. Leopard doesn't change its spots. No. So, 
Are you ready to get fired up? Let's get fired up. All right. I will begin this week by talking about the Willowbrook experiments around hepatitis that took place between 1956 and 1970. The extremely shocking Willowbrook experiments were aimed at discovering a cure for hepatitis. The continuous study lasted from 1956 to 1970. The subjects were taken from Willowbrook State School, which is located in Staten Island, New York. They were mentally handicapped children. The series of tests involved injecting the children with experimental drugs that were meant to cure hepatitis. Not only were the children unable to provide consent, but they would often die from the treatments. When questioned about their actions, officials justified themselves by stating that hepatitis was prevalent in the institution and nearly all patients would become infected anyway. The children who did not contract the disease naturally were infected by the administrators to carry on the experiment. You think your kids are safe in public schools? I I just don't even want to read any more after that. Oh, I I got another good one for the end. And when I mean good, it's bad. So you're taking mentally handicapped children, obviously... They are not knowing what you're doing. You could tell them anything and they're not going to know. They're not going to tell you no. Or even if they do, you're just They're not capable of giving consent. Right. And obviously the parents were not consulted. Yes, they're in a school. But when when parents, (laughs) I, I, I mean, to their detriment, they trust that when they're leaving their children in school that they are being taken care of in a safe and healthy manner. Mm-hmm. The opposite is usually true. But this is what people, especially back then, were expecting when they'd put their children in school. Special schools like this were set up, and, and, I, presume, and I presume that these schools were where children were left basically because they were mentally handicapped, Mm -hmm. they were put in these schools and I'm presuming that they they maybe, were these like boarding type schools where they stayed overnight? I think these were were state schools where they stayed there. So so these were not, not, uh, I guess institution might be too strong a word, but that's essentially what it was. So you have a, you know, back in in those days, you had a a child that was mentally handicapped and you maybe didn't know how to handle them. You didn't know how to care for them. So the state would set up these institutions or these schools and you would bring your child there. And of course, parents, they all love their kids, I I would think. And for the most part, you have a child, whether or not it's healthy, you love it. It's still part of you, right? So you're presuming that you're, bringing it, your child, where it can get the best care. And, and obviously, if it's staying there, you're, you're led to believe that we're going to care for your child, we're going to feed your child, clothe your child, bathe your child, offer your child a, a bed to sleep in, shelter, Nutrition. and camaraderie with other children that are like them. Mm, no. No. Mm-mm. 
Why would that happen? No, we're going to, instead, we're going to test experimental drugs on them and it goes, infect them with hepatitis because we're trying to find a cure for it. So the ones that are not already infected, we're going to infect them and we're going to just cause all kinds of problems and again, basically torture these children. Again, treating. Sick. It's sick. People, human beings as less than human because they're different. It's disgusting. It's basically, oh, you know, they say, well, they're retarded. They don't know because that was the term back then. Let me tell you something. I worked with mentally handicapped kids for almost six years. Mm-hmm. And those are some, the ones that are really, really mentally handicapped, they're some of the sweetest, kindest souls. Mm-hmm. And you see it in their eyes. Yes, they have their moments where they act out and they can be violent. They can be difficult, of course. But when you, for me, you can see a person and and it's in the eyes. Mm -hmm. And some of the the kindest, calmest, sweetest, most loving eyes were the eyes that I would look into back then when I was doing that job. It's so angering to me that this happened, that these things probably still occur, Mm -hmm. sadly. It's just so wrong. I, I don't know. It takes a special kind of, of sociopath to yeah. to do these kind of things. I, I, I and, and it's just. They, they view them as less than human. And that's what it comes down to. And that the so science wrong. is more important than these, these people, these souls. So it, wrong. It is. It is. So let's move on to the measles vaccine experiment from 1990 to 1991. Experiments involving the measles vaccine were conducted from 1990 to 1991 by the Center for Disease Control. The doctors wanted to know if they could use it to replace natural antibodies in babies. To test this, doctors injected thousands of babies in the third world with the drug. The vaccine eventually led to several immune problems in the babies and caused many deaths although the exact number is unknown. Knowing the drug had this effect, the government still tested on African-American and Hispanic babies in Los Angeles. They injected more than 1,500 babies in the United States with the experimental drug. However, the study came to an end when it was discovered that African children were dying at an alarming rate up to three years after receiving the vaccinations. The CDC later admitted that the parents were unaware that their children were being injected with an experimental drug and that had not yet been verified by the Federal Drug Administration. Hmm. There you go. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me just go back to my notes from last week. Because wasn't it uh, in, was it 1979 where there had to be informed consent? It's amazing it took that long but, for that to go into effect. Hold on. Let me go back to my notes from there because in 1974, obtaining informed consent from all study participants became required for all research on humans. So how the hell did that happen? And was anybody held accountable? Of course not. How the hell did that happen, huh? If you're not pissed, you should be. And that's why I always say when people talk about the Constitution being trampled on and this and that and the other thing, 
if you allow it to be trampled on, it's just a piece of paper with mm-hmm. writing on it. It doesn't mean anything if people don't actually follow it. And if they don't it, fight and for if the, it. And if they don't follow it, the, those that don't follow it, if they're not held accountable for their actions, it becomes a meaningless piece of paper mm-hmm. with people, writing on it. We need meaningless. To, yeah, we need to start holding people accountable for this kind of stuff. The, these are the things that should make people angry and upset. Yeah. Sadly... It's not the case anymore. And I don't know what happened. I don't know where we went wrong. And again, we could do a whole podcast dedicated just to that. The Tuskegee syphilis study that we went over last week. Again, they didn't learn their lesson in the 90s, in 1990 and 1991 on African-American and Hispanic people. Seriously? I think these people doing doing these re- this research, these experiments, they're the ones who need to be experimented on. Let, let's try it on them and see how they like it. They should be strung up out in the street. Yeah. Like they used to do it. Yep. And, and, and you, they'll be a little more reticent to be doing this kind of crap in the future if, if we actually did that. Yeah. And it, they know that. Because they there's, know that. there's no more consequences for actions. There isn't. People there's, need to be held accountable. Why don't you go on to the next one? Cloudy with a chance of death. I like how you title these. In 1952 and 1953, the United States military sprayed clouds of zinc cadmium sulfide over Minneapolis, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, St. Louis, Missouri, Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Monocacy River Valley in Maryland, and Leesburg, Virginia, which was dubbed Operation Large Area Coverage. A military report noted that the spraying caused many respiratory problems while still fraudulently claiming that the sprays were harmless. So I got to stop before we go on. They're spraying not just in the United States, but they're spraying in Canada as well. How was this not like an international incident? How How... How did Canadian citizens not? Because it's harmless, how right? The hell, they said it's harmless. How on earth was we, this allowed? We just want to check the coverage. How big of a coverage can we get? <sighs> zinc cadmium sulfide is created by heating a mixture of the compounds zinc sulfide and cadmium sulfide. It was reportedly chosen by the Army for the physical similarities its powder form shares with a cloud of microbes and for its easy detection under ultraviolet light. The chemical's three constituent elements are zinc, cadmium, and sulfur, but the Army's powder formulation also contained small quantities of either silver or copper to activate the chemical's fluorescence as well as a silicate to aid in dispersion. Are these like the earliest form of chemtrails? Is mm-hmm. that what we're seeing here? Oh no, we did a whole episode on chemtrails. We the, talked about it. The army spread zinc cadmium sulfide in St. Louis with motorized blowers perched atop low-income housing buildings. Wow, so they're like even lower than planes here. They're on top of buildings. Mm-hmm. Claiming at the time that the machines were part of a test for smoke screens that could guard against aerial observation by Russians, according to the <laughs> Associated Press. Nothing like taking advantage of that Russian hysteria that was happening at the time, right? Isn't it still happening now? Well, it's back to happening again, so who knows what they're going to be pulling under the guise of that. 
But when the machine's true purpose was revealed by the army in 1994, 1994, so almost 50 years later, a public outcry led to Congress's request that the National Research Council probe zinc cadmium sulfide's health effects. So almost 50 years later. The council's report concluded that while the toxicity of zinc cadmium sulfide itself was not well understood, the quantities of the chemical released by the Army would not have harmed the public even if the cadmium involved had acted just like purer, probably more toxic forms of the element. Operation Large Area Coverage Tests also included the dispersion of biological agents, including Seracia marcesans, Bacillus globigli, Bacillus subtilis, and Aspergillus fumigates. Though they were not thought, thought to be harmful at the time, some of the organisms used have since been shown to be potentially pathogenic in people with weakened immune systems. The National Research Council's report did not attempt to assess the health risks posed by those microbes. Why would it? Because they Why want to say it's it? harmless. So again, oh, this came out and people got upset. Let, let's get a, a group together and they'll study it and they'll say it's fine because that's what they get paid to do. It's just like, what? And this is happening in, in our cities. This is here. This is not somewhere far away. This is here, folks. And this is in the United States They're of targeting low-income housing. Again, the poor are less human. That's what they're saying. That's essentially what they're saying. That's who they're testing on. You know why? Because in their mind, the poor aren't going to fight back because they can't afford to. They can't hire fancy lawyers. The poor, in their minds, are uneducated. They don't know how to fight back. They don't know what to do. The poor, who they think are uneducated, are they think are going to just deal with it and go to the government for help. And that's when everyone needs to stand up and say, F you. We're not going to let that happen. Here's the thing. I'm not going to pretend to know what these folks are thinking and what they think of of the, the poor, as you call them, or people in low-income housing or anything like that, because I'm not one of these people. So I don't know what goes through their minds. So I'm not going to pretend to. The fact is, those people that they do these type of experiments and tests on are the majority and that's all it will take is for them to have enough and for enough of them to have had enough. And they, they vastly outnumber the type of people that do these type of experiments and that view them as less than. Mm-hmm. And that's why propaganda has gone through the roof because it needs to keep everybody occupied with silly stuff that doesn't matter in the overall scheme of things because if people realized what was being done to them without their consent and how these people in positions of power looked at them and thought of them, then these people in positions of power would be strung up out in the streets. They would be torn apart in the public square. And with what you said? It would be done for them. It'd be, it'd be over. Yeah. And that's why it's their job to divide everyone, to get people bickering over left and right, this and that. Keep us distracted. Keep us fighting with each other because if we got together 
and had found our real common enemy, they would be defeated. That's Easily. why they are so vastly outnumbered, mm-hmm. everybody. And that's that's the thing we all have to remember. We just all need to come together and say no. Yeah. Enough. Just say no. This is not happening. No. Use your th- open your throat chakra. Say no. Just that alone, without dragging people out, you know, just saying no. Everyone's standing firm and together. That can make that right there. Huge game changer, but it has to be done. All right, prohibition poison. In the 1920s, authorities deliberately added poison to alcohol in an attempt to combat and enforce prohibition. What? Yep. Jeez. The federal government decided to try a different approach to ending alcohol consumption and decided to try prohibition, a.k.a. the Volstead Act, by banning the sale of alcohol. This brought bootleggers, smugglers, and speakeasies into the picture because we all know that if the government tells us we have to stop doing something we've been doing forever, not ever that everyone's just going to agree, right? No, they're not going to agree and they're going to find a way to keep doing it. So according to prohibition.themobmuseum.org, for years before the prohibition, industrial grade and undrinkable alcohol was used in factories as a solvent and cleaning fluid and to manufacture detergent, flavoring extracts and perfumes. Alcohol had been subject to excise tax as a beverage in the United States until 1906, when a process borrowed from Europe added what's called denaturants or substances that made grain-based ethyl alcohol taste or smell bad to deter its use in drinks. The denatured alcohol could then be used tax-free in manufacturing. By the start of prohibition in the 1920s, tens of millions of gallons of denatured ethyl alcohol were made for industrial use and considered legally exempt by the U.S. government because it contained toxic additives, rendering it dangerous to drink. The alcohol was denatured by mixing it with wood, which is methyl alcohol, a harmful liquid that could cause blindness or death if ingested. But bootleggers started using denatured industrial alcohol disguised as whiskey, which would be called rock gut, for its effect on the drinker's internal organs, even in the months before prohibition took effect. The magazine Literary Digest, in its January 10th, 1920 issue, reported that scores of people have recently died, including 57 in Hartford, Connecticut, and hundreds of others blinded after drinking alleged whiskey contained, containing wood alcohol. Authorities arrested some bootleggers after tracing the tainted alcohol to New York City. So that was just the precursor. According to the article, in the mid-1920s, bootleggers sold large amounts of the poisonous alcohol mixed with other liquids represented as whiskey and other beverages, and people started dying. In New York, in 1926, about 750 perished after imbibing the wood alcohol-laced bootlegged liquor. That New Year's Eve, as people drank in 1927, many jammed Bellevue Hospital on New Year's Day, and 41 of them died. Hundreds more New Yorkers died later that year. In Philadelphia, 307 died that January and 163 in Chicago. About 15,000 people were reported poisoned in just one county in Kansas. 
Up to 50,000 people may have died from the repurposed industrial alcohol nationwide and thousands of other liquors were stricken by crippling paralysis. In 1927, New York alone of the 480,000 gallons of liquor. Did you just say thousands of other liquors were stricken by crippling paralysis? Oh, sorry. Others. Thousands of others were stricken by crippling paralysis. In 1927, in New York alone, of the 480,000 gallons of liquor seized by the Treasury's prohibition agents, 98% contained poisonous additives. The liquor seized from 55 of the city's speakeasies proved to contain traces of wood alcohol. Wow. Critics, including the anti-prohibition quote-unquote wets, blamed the deaths and injuries on reckless government policies, such as the absence of warning labels on containers of industrial alcohol. So I just want to kind of break in the article and say the government used this industrial alcohol and then they added the methyl to it, which is the wood alcohol that made it even deadlier. And they didn't tell anybody. So they knew bootlegging was going on, but they allowed these people to poison themselves. So back to the article, Dr. Nicholas Murray Butler of Columbia University accused the U.S. government, which approved the wood alcohol denaturant of, quote unquote, legalized murder. The government acted by passing a new law, lowering the maximum wood alcohol content in industrial alcohol to 2%. In the weeks after the disaster in 1927, J.M. Doran, head chemist for the Prohibition Bureau, worked on perfecting a new, less harmful, but still foul-smelling and tasting denaturant, such as kerosene. The feds later approved the addition of ingredients such as iodine, ether, nicotine, and formaldehyde to try to make industrial alcohol too horrible to drink. Unbelievable. So... First of all, the U.S. Treasury Department was the one who had up overseeing the enforcement of prohibition. Why would the Treasury Department oversee that? I don't know. It just goes to show like the ridiculousness of it all. I don't know. And we still put these these morons in charge. Mm -hmm. And they are. That's what they are. I'm sorry to say it, but they... Yes, of course. You can't you can't lump everybody in. There's there's of course there are those there that actually think that they're there to to do good when mm-hmm. they first get there, and of course within a few years they realize I'm doing no good at all, and they either get out of government or they just decide to play along and go along to get along and enrich themselves. They realize what the, what they signed up for is not what they initially thought mm-hmm. it was, but these people are are either stupid, inept. Or just want to have power over others, and that's why they get into government. And there's very few that I that I really truly feel get into it because they want to help people. And like I said, those that do, they don't last very long. Mm-mm. They 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 don't because they realize what they're in, and and it's just. But you have it's just, the uh, the U.S. government saying you can't have alcohol; it's now illegal. And then going as far as putting the methyl, the wood alcohol, which is going to kill everyone, into the industrial stuff. Because, yeah, I get it. One could argue, well, they shouldn't be drinking that anyway. But again. Well, that's how it gets justified. 
Exactly. That's their justification. But you know, when you tell somebody not to do something, they're going to do it anyway. They're going to find ways to do it. And to me, that is saying, hey, we know you're going to do it, but we're going to kill you for it. That's one way to argue it, for sure. That's my interpretation. That's that's your interpretation, and you're entitled to mm-hmm. it. Now, this was obviously never, was there any major lawsuit done here? Was, was there any criminal action brought against I- the officials that made these decisions and enacted them? Not that I saw. Of course not. Of course not. And if there if there were... What would, what would be the consequence? What would be the judgment? Would they be found guilty of what you just said and what, how you interpreted it? Or as it was or, put, legalized murder? But yeah. Or, or would they be acquitted? We don't know. We because, don't. because they were never, ever, they were never held to account. They were never held accountable. I, I, I don't see them named, not, not in this research that you did. I don't know if they ever would have been named. And again, even if they were, obviously nothing nothing was done to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, carry on business as usual, right? Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break okay. and we'll come back and we're going to talk about the Holmesburg Prison Terror Drome. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yes, you. Are you looking for a new podcast that appeals to your scientific curiosity, but is also a little bit spooky? Show me how I died in a past life. Well, look no further, because this cat is where it's at. He had concerns about the ethics surrounding AI, feeling they had achieved consciousness. Curious Cat Podcast examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. Listen every week with your host, Jennifer Holtz, as she and her guests explore what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. We were healing karma together. They were all kind of predestined to to resolve something. Listen on all your favorite streaming apps and continue the conversation on Twitter at CuriousCatPodCA or find Jennifer and all her links at JenniferLHotes, spelled H-O-T-E-S dot com. Welcome back, everybody. We are now going to talk about Holmesburg Prison. Oh, boy. The prisoners of Holmesburg Prison, located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, were subject to experiments, a.k.a. medical research, conducted by dermatologist Dr. Albert Kligman from the early 1950s through the mid-1970s. Hundreds of prisoners were used to test products from facial creams and skin moisturizers to perfumes, detergents, and anti-rash treatments in exchange for a few dollars. Well, at least they were paid. Mm. Other experiments used the inmates as test subjects for far more hazardous, even potentially lethal substances, such as radioactive isotopes, dioxin, and other chemical warfare agents. Based on in-depth interviews with dozens of prisoners, as well as the doctors and prison officials who respectively performed and permitted these experimental tests, the author presents an account of abuse, moral indifference, and greed. 
Central to this account are the millions of dollars many of America's leading drug and consumer goods companies made available for the doctors, motivated by the desire for fame and money based on these medical experiments. It is argued that at Holmesburg, the American medical establishment betrayed the ideals of the Hippocratic Oath and the Nuremberg Code. So let's talk about that. Now, like I said before, yeah, they were paid. But did they know what they were being paid for? Let's find out. According to truthout.org, Dr. Albert Kligman, a dermatology faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania, was first brought into Holmesburg Prison in 1951 at the request of facility administrators who needed help treating an outbreak of athlete's foot. But rather than a temporary problem, Dr. Kligman saw endless opportunity. In a 1966 interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer, Dr. Kligman said, quote, All I saw before me were acres of skin. It was like a farmer seeing a fertile field for the first time. End quote. I just need to interject. That's messed up. And I'm watching my language. Yeah, it is. And, and and I keep sighing and taking these deep breaths, not because I'm out of shape or out of breath or anything like that. I'm trying to calm myself, ladies and gentlemen, as I read. Dr. Kligman developed what are now considered staples in the skincare and pharmaceutical industries. The most well-known of these is tretinoin or Retin-A, a topical medication for acne that is also remarkably effective as an anti-aging treatment. Yeah, applause, right? Let's applaud this guy. Mm. Hey, hear that? Let's applaud him. He he did all these experiments and, and he found... So people can look better this. and younger. Yay. And so you can clean up your, your acne. Yay. That was sarcasm for anybody that may be listening to us for the first time. In case you didn't pick up on it. Between 1951 and 1974... Dr. Kligman led experiments that advanced his own discoveries around skin care, garnered partnerships with major pharmaceutical companies and governmental agencies, and wreaked havoc on the bodies and minds of incarcerated men at Holmesburg. Study volunteers were given patch tests to monitor their reactions to things like perfume and baby products. Major corporations like Johnson & Johnson contracted with Dr. Kligman for tests, including one that required injecting men with asbestos to compare it against the naturally occurring mineral talc, which can contain asbestos. Johnson & Johnson has long denied as part of lawsuits that its talc-based baby powder contained cancer-causing asbestos. In one case, the company paid... $2.5 billion in damages and interest. I'm going to just sidebar real quick. They maintained that they did nothing wrong, but they paid $2.5 billion in damages and they did nothing wrong. Please, the evidence is to the contrary. Prisoners at Holmesburg were also inoculated with experimental vaccines for viruses and infections, including candida and herpes simplex. 
and through tests commissioned by the Dow Chemical Company, were exposed to the poison dioxin, a component of the powerful herbicide Agent Orange. One inmate, Irvin Moore, stated he was driven to participate because of the ethical codes that underpin prison life, which included supporting oneself. Experiments were a straightforward way to purchase commissary items, send funds back home, or raise bail money. The article continues. Unbeknownst to him and the hundreds of other men who participated in the tests were the specifics of what they were being injected and slathered with or made to ingest. Moore explained that he asked test administrators whether the experiments would hurt him and he said he was assured that everything was safe. In hindsight, he says he was, quote, naive enough to believe the powers that be, end quote. While Holmesburg is most widely associated with the development of Retin-A, many other products and chemicals were tested on incarcerated men at the facility through contracts with pharmaceutical companies and even the United States military. For example, both Moore and fellow panelist Herbert Rice, who was incarcerated at Holmesburg for two years, spoke of their participation in what was known as the milkshake tests. In one of the more lucrative experiments, the tests required living in an isolated cell block and only eating a milkshake product, the ingredients of which were unknown to participants, three times a day for six months. So you're, you're in an isolated cell block and they're giving you a milkshake three times a day and that's all you're able to ingest or have for nutrition and that's for six months this goes on. And they don't know what the hell is in this milkshake that they're drinking. Awesome. I bet that milkshake doesn't bring all the boys to the yard. <laughs> wow. Sorry, had to. While Moore remains unsure of what he was served, he believes that these may have been safety tests of the earliest versions of what are now known as protein shakes. In a 2021 profile written about the Holmesburg experiments, Yousef Anthony, a formerly incarcerated survivor of a handful of tests conducted at the prison, notes that these milkshake tests gave him hemorrhoids that forced him to undergo numerous operations to repair his rectum. Rice also spoke of experiments that left him scarred both emotionally and physically. He recalled his skin feeling like leather for three to four months after, quote, they put some kind of radiation on my back, end quote. Another set of tests over a four-day observation period required ingesting pills filled with, quote, some type of living organism, end quote. Rice became deeply emotional when recounting the psychological torment he endured long after his incarceration ended. He traces recurring night terrors that he experienced for decades back to the experiments that he underwent while in Holmesburg. In the mid-90s, while seeking mental health treatment, doctors didn't trust his account of the experiments he participated in at Holmesburg. 
Now, we have discussed before how you need to stand up to your doctors when they don't believe you because you know your body and you know when something is wrong. And this is yet another example of how so many doctors don't believe their patients. It's also another example of how some doctors forget the people they are treating or in this case, testing on are human beings. And I just want to add one of the articles I got information from, there was a panel done with the people that were mentioned, um, prisoners of Holmesburg, and they were just recounting the experimentation, what it was like, what happened to them. And the information that we have, it's just, I feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg. Do you imagine that though, going to your doctor and, and just explaining all these different health issues you're having, these psychological issues you're having, and you're saying, look, it, it was, it, it's been happening since they made me drink this stuff or rub this stuff on my body or ingest this pill or take this powder and, and rub it on my backside or whatever, whatever it was that they were doing. Who knows what else they did? And the doctor looking at you and be like, yeah, I don't believe you. Can, you. can you just imagine that? Like how much worse that would make you feel? Yeah, I know. No, I mean, what? what? Uh, again, why I don't trust doctors. Uh-huh. Like, like I said, I think it was last week I mentioned when we were talking about the diseases with the mosquitoes and Lyme disease. And I have gone to doctors before and, you know, told them what was going on and being told, are you sure it's not psychosomatic? So I, I just have a taste of what that's like. Imagine that guy being through all of that and, and not and again, being believed. And I'm not saying yeah. all doctors are bad. There are some great doctors out there. Well, of course there are, but the, the, I'm sorry, the majority, in my opinion, they're, they're not there for you. It's your, like playing, to me, health. it's like playing Russian roulette to try to find a good one. And, and and the thing with these with these two, the fact that a lot of them they, they were talking about the the ethical concerns and things like that that mm-hmm. they that the, the inmate was speaking of. Yes, they're in prison. However, you can tell they're they're experimenting on people that are there for smaller things. They're not the people that are there for life or that are maybe on death row or mm-hmm. anything like that. They're just experimenting on people who were maybe trying to get paid to get money for bail money. Mm-hmm. So maybe people who are in prison because maybe there's not a jail they can be held at or whatever. And maybe they're awaiting a trial. Maybe they're innocent and they're going to be, they're going to be set free after a trial. Maybe they're just, you know what I mean? But this is, this is the kind of thing that was happening. This doctor goes in there and he just sees, Oh, I'm not going to treat athletes, but I'm going to make money. And then he talks to anybody else that's involved in the prison, the prison doctors, the prison officials. And he says, guys, we can make money here. We could become famous. We could become rich. And that just takes over. Doesn't matter. Hey, these guys be damned. They're in prison. F them. Doesn't matter. Oh, oh, some of them are here just because you're holding them because they're awaiting trial. Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Good, but good. Tell them you're going to pay them a little bit of money. Uh-huh. Tell them they can use it for bail or, or send some of it home. It doesn't matter. Whatever. We're going to get paid. We're going to make lots of money. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable to me. So this is the last one we're going to go over, and it's about the Fernald School. Thank goodness, because I don't know how much more of this I can And take. this one's hard because it's about kids, too. So, Ugh. 
The Massachusetts School for the Feeble-Minded was originally founded in 1848 by Samuel Wrigley Howe. It was the first publicly supported institution for people with intellectual disabilities in the Western Hemisphere. It first began in South Boston, but after growing in size, it moved to Waltham. Dr. Walter E. Fernald was the school's third superintendent, and in 1925, the school changed its name to the Fernald School. During Fernald's time as superintendent, he decided to open the doors to young boys who were poor and unwanted. While some might think that this was an act of kindness, the truth is far more sickening. Dr. Fernald implemented radioactive nutrition experimentation on the young boys with the help of MIT and the good people at Quaker Oats. The 74 children involved were referred to as members of the Fernald Science Club. They were between the ages of 10 and 17. They were fed Quaker Oats breakfast cereal containing radioactive tracers to test the absorption of the plant minerals and calcium. Some of the boys were also injected with radiation. Parents were never informed that radioactive elements were involved in the tests. But hey, it's okay because the experiment was approved by the Atomic Energy Commission, so it's all good, right? An article from HARP.org quotes, In the name of science, members of the club would eat cereal mixed with radioactive milk for breakfast or digest a series of iron supplements that gave them radiation equivalent of at least 50 chest x-rays. From 1946 to 1956, scores of retarded teenagers consumed radioactive food to help the researchers better understand the human digestive process. There is absolutely no ground for caution regarding the quantities of radioactive substances which would be used in our experiments. Massachusetts Institute of Technology biochemist Robert H. Harris assured Fernal's superintendent in a letter proposing the research in 1945. At least some consent forms were sent home to parents or guardians, but it did not mention the radiation. Based on figures in an unpublished report on the project, the children's spleens were exposed to between 544 and 1,024 millirems of radiation over the course of seven meals. By comparison, the typical American receives about 300 millirems of radiation from natural sources each year. Oh my gosh. The experiments at the Fernald School which almost certainly would not be permitted today, are one of the darker corners of Massachusetts, Massachusetts' atomic legacy. Along with pioneering the field of nuclear medicine, some of the state's leading academic institutions and hospitals also subjected the terminally ill, the elderly, and others to radiation doses that are considered unsafe today and often with no possible benefit to the test subjects. Now, the article also quoted Constantine Meletokis. Did I say it? Meletskos. Oh, sorry, I butchered that. Meletskos. You, you were close. <laughs> a former MIT researcher who studied how teenagers at the Fernald metabolized radioactive calcium, who defended the experiments, saying they yielded important information about nutrition. Constantine said, quote, I feel just as good about it today as the day I did it, end quote. He said, 
And quote, the attitude of the scientist was we were going to do this in the best way possible. They would get the minimum radiation they could possibly get and have the experiment work, end quote. Can you say sociopath? Again, these people, they don't care that these are children and they really don't know, which is why they're doing the testing. Now, keep in mind that this school was run by the state. They did not receive parental consent, nor did they attempt to explain to the boys what they were doing. They took advantage of mentally challenged and poor children without any consideration to these children feeling pain, discomfort, fear, or any other state of mind that an innocent child would feel in that situation. And now the quote, unquote scientists involved argue that the experiments were safe because the amount of radiation given to the boys were considered trace amounts that they say were less than one billionth of an ounce of radioactive iron and calcium to chart the absorption of calcium and iron in the body from eating oatmeal and farnia cereals. Farina. Thank you. Farina cereals. The exposures to radiation for the youths were between 30% and 99% below the more stringent standards that are in effect today and cause no significant health risk. That's what they say. While studies show the radiation went into the bones, that they contributed to osteoporosis and other possible side effects like cancer and leukemia. Basically, they're saying, oh, it's fine. It's harmless. It was such a low amount. But the studies also showed that the radiation went right into the bones, that these people were getting osteoporosis that this this treatment, this radiation treatment could cause cancer and leukemia in these children and they didn't care because in their minds, it was fine. It was okay and they don't regret it. They don't regret it one bit. They'd do oh. it again. Yep. Sociopaths, psychopaths, sickos. There's no other word for them. I mean, there's, there's a lot more colorful language that could be used there, mm. but we'll, yeah. leave, we'll leave that to you to to scream at, at your computer or your phone or wherever you're listening to us right now, recounting I, these horrible, horrific, true stories. I want to add to, this is just a taste of what's been done. Oh yeah, this isn't even in, in, everything. In America. Because as I was going over the research, I found more and more stuff come up. More and more articles about testing experiments that have happened on American people without their consent, without their knowledge. And of these 13 stories that we talked about over, you know, the last episode in this one, that's just the tip of it. There's still so much more. And then think about for all the ones we know about, think about how many we don't know about. That's the scary part. We actually know about these. So, yeah, like you said, the tip of the iceberg. There's probably so much mm-hmm. more that's been done that's presently being done that we don't know about right now. We'll find out about it eventually because mm-hmm. this stuff always comes out. It's never right away. Very rarely is it right away because they need to finish their work. They need to finish. And so they keep it hidden. They keep it yeah. quiet. But it'll come out eventually. And then, you know, whoever was involved is going to be either dead or in a position of power where they're untouchable. Mm -hmm. And that's how this works, folks. That's how this works. It's disgusting. It's awful. But this is reality. 
And I also want to mention that, as I said, this was just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage everyone, do your own research, look into these. We're going to include links and information. And then you're, I'm sure you're going to go down the rabbit hole, discovering more things that have happened and look into those, but just educate yourself, be aware because a lot of people might hear this or some people might hear this and think, oh, well, a lot of it was done before they knew better. But the point is a lot of the information came out because it was posted in medical journals or because of a whistleblower or because things were finally released. The information was released. It's true. It's real. And like I said, we don't know how much more is happening that we don't know about, but do your research because the best thing you can do is educate yourself and learn. Let's learn from our history. Let's learn from our past to do better and be better for our future. Very, very well said. Very well said. Thank you. What you said about doing your own research. Yes. hundred percent. It's good to be educated and know about these things. Absolutely. And, and like you said, we'll include uh, links in the show notes. Like we, like we try to do every time we do something like this, look at that stuff educate yourself, but more, more importantly, educate yourself about and take control of your own health. Mm -hmm. That to me is the most important thing you can do. If you have children, learn about what you're feeding your kids. What are they drinking? What are they, what are they doing? What are they watching on television? What are they doing on their iPad or their tablet? What are the video games they're playing? Educate yourself on that stuff and the effects of that stuff. We, we got to take back our health. It's up to us. It's up to you as an individual to control and, and be your own advocate. And the best way to do that is to just eat right, exercise, figure out what it is that you're doing that maybe is causing you pain or discomfort or any type of medical issue that you, you might be having. Figure it out. Take control of your health. Because when you trust the experts or you trust the science... These are the kind of things that you're opening the door to happening. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what these people will say too. Hey, nobody twisted their arm. We didn't tell them they had to. Nobody said you had to do it. Well, in some of the cases. No, Nobody held a gun to your head. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. On that note. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for bearing with us, for bearing with my my breathing in and out and everything that was, uh, uh, again, this cleansing, cleansing breath trying exercises. to keep myself calm. I apologize that I had to do it as often as I did. I'm not going to edit it out. It's just that's I, I, I'm trying to be as authentic when we present this stuff uh, as I can be. And Monique feels the same way. So. We, we try to do minimal editing on this kind of stuff because we want the information. Hey, if I'm upset about something, I'm not going to try and hide it. And this is upsetting. A lot of this is very upsetting. So on that note, I'm Alex. And as always, I've been joined by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker podcast. Many people are unaware just how much hypnotherapy can help them or think it's only to help lose weight or quit smoking. But there is so much more hypnotherapy can do. It can help with stress. 
anxiety, insomnia, phobias, performance enhancement, connecting with your spirit guides and higher self. You can even discover past lives and your life between lives. Heal traumas, break habits, find your deepest truth, or just have fun discovering who you really are, all from the comfort of your home. I'm Monique Pliakis. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, and I want to help you. Schedule a free consult by going to www.innerstandingshypnosis.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G-S-H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S.com. Innerstandings Hypnosis. Find your power and ignite your inner light. We love hearing from and interacting with our hearers and watchers. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HomewreckerPod. You can also visit our website, HomewreckerPodcast.com, where you can check out past episodes and pick up some Homewrecker Podcast gear from our online store. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're hearing or watching our show. That way you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can check out the video versions of our show at YouTube and Brideon. You can also find Monique in a few places online as well. I'm on Twitter, at underscore Monique Giselle underscore. If you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, incense, candles, and other cool things, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. Or if you're interested in hypnotherapy, you can go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to schedule a free 20-minute consult and follow me on Twitter at Monique P-C-H-T. And Alex, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at TheAlexArion, and you can check out my website, alexarionfitness.com. And if that's too much to remember, we get it. That's why we put it all in our show notes. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we appreciate all of your support. We do. Thank you. We love you.